wisdom. And he's got all these statements in his head. So he says, you know what? Slow and steady wins the race, Kim. Right? Yeah. And let's that's, that's say you're coaching a softball team, okay? One that's not very good, okay? And uh, you uh, have a pitcher that's not very good. And uh, so everyone gathers around after one inning, and you're, not, you've, you're way behind. And you stare at the pitcher, who's really losing it for the team, and you say, you know, we're only as strong as our weakest link. Right? Well, maybe, maybe it's this. Maybe you're at your workplace and one of your coworkers has won a big sales prize or has been rewarded for his hard work and uh, just kind of celebrating that. And uh, again, you've gathered this wisdom from Proverbs and uh, you're trying out these uh, Proverbs for test drives. And uh, you say this, you know, pride comes before the fall to your coworker. Is that really what I want? To see after the summer? Is that my vision? That you can just memorize these little proverb statements and use them at uh, inappropriate times? No. That is not what we are after today. That is not what we were after this summer. Instead, when we look at Proverbs, it's going to be looking at it in a way that we don't look at other places of Scripture. You know, we went through a narrative, which was Judges, at the beginning. Um, um, we went through a letter, which was First Peter. We went through a Gospel of Mark. And in those books, you kind of can just kind of read through them. But here, when we go through the book of Proverbs, you could and can read through it from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 31. But this genre of, which is called wisdom literature, we have to look at it a little bit differently. And we want to try to do that this summer. And I want us to not just memorize these statements and again use them at inappropriate times, but my hope is that we would grow in wisdom as a church. Grow in wisdom. And this first seven verses in the book of Proverbs, I think more than almost any book in the Bible, lays out the theme and the mission of the book of Proverbs in these first seven verses. These first seven verses. And I want us to answer three questions as we go through it. First, what is wisdom? Why do we need it? And how do we get it? What is wisdom? Why do we need it? And how do we get it? Let's find out, shall we? Let's start in verse 1 of chapter 1 of Proverbs. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb in a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. 
Amen. Let's pray. God, we want wisdom. We pray that you would give it to us. That it would just saturate our lives. And God, I pray that as we go through this book of Proverbs, your word, that uh, we would just display to the world around us the wisdom that comes from you. In your son's name, amen. Well, what is a proverb? A proverb in Hebrew is the word masal, which means uh, a metaphor, an imagery. And uh, to be like is the exact translation of the word masal. And so throughout these kind of books of Proverbs, we see a lot of imagery and metaphors. And we see comparisons through allegory or similes. An example would be as vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so are sluggards to those who send them. And when you read the book, when you think of the book of Proverbs, many times we think of these short sentences. And I like to describe the short sentences as this. They're short sentence founded on long experience. They're a short sentence founded on long experience. And Proverbs, again, is divided, I think, between two major sections. And verses in chapters 10 through 31 are these short sentences. And many times we think about when we think of the book of Proverbs. And then in chapters 1 through 9 is this larger allegory or metaphor. And uh, in the New Testament, it it translates um, a proverb to a parable. So when we think about parables that Jesus teaches, it's usually a longer story. And the longer story being told in chapter 1 through 9 that kind of sets up what wisdom is, uses the story of a father speaking to a son, especially about two types of wisdom, lady wisdom and lady folly. And it uses these two things to set up an illustration of what wisdom is. And we'll go through that a little bit more next week. But how we're going to set up the book of Proverbs as a church is thematically. And the reason it is, is because if you went from chapter 10 through 31, which we're going to do the majority of this summer, and just read it through, um, it jumps from one parable to another that has many different themes that are just not the same. One could be about marriage. The next one could be about friendship. One could be about work. And the next one could be about sex. And so um, if we just went through it straight through, we'd kind of be in trouble. So what we're going to do is we're going to go through in kind of two-week chunks different themes of the Proverbs. And the themes are going to be marriage, work, money, friendship, parenting, and yes, even the topic of sex. Um, And that's kind of what we're going to do as an order of the book of Proverbs uh, this summer. Now, let's go into a little bit here to verse 2 in, in uh, this chapter. So I set it up, and here we go, kind of um, what the purpose of this book is and what the theme of this book is. And it says here in verse 2, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing and righteous justice and equity, to give prudence to the, sim- the simple. Very quickly, we see that there is parallelism happening in the book of Proverbs. Uh, parallelism is, again, seen in the Proverbs, says, what are honest lips? And then what the author will do is um, explain what honest lips are. Honest lips are those who speak right. 
Now here what's happening in this verse, two verses is he's saying, what is wisdom? What is wisdom? And then he describes what wisdom is. Wisdom is, first of all, the ability to know the right decisions, the right things to do. It's kind of through instruction. The right way to act, righteousness. The right way to seek justice in the world and equity. It's to know the right things to do. But on top of that, as we see, it says to give prudence to the simple. It's the ability to discern, to know how to act in certain situations with cool-headedness, as one commentator said, he would translate prudence, with cool-headedness. Now, if we interpret the Proverbs like um, the law, or like uh, reading the book of um, Exodus, or reading the Ten Commandments, and said these are commandments we have to follow, and rules we have to follow, we would be in serious trouble. Okay, Why would we be in serious trouble? Hear this, please. Proverbs 26, 4 through 5. These are two Proverbs put back to back. And it says this. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. The next proverb, just one down. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. What? I mean, one that says, don't answer a fool. And the next it says, answer a fool. Is the Bible contradictory? I mean, is this just contradictions? Oh, my friend always said that the Bible contradicts itself. There it is, right next to each other, verse 4 and 5. This is the key to reading Proverbs. If you read Proverbs saying, okay, this is a rule that I'm supposed to apply anytime and anywhere, you're going to be in serious trouble. The thing is, Wisdom is being able to discern the right time to be able to use principles. There is sometimes that you should answer a fool in his folly. And there are sometimes that you shouldn't. Wisdom is being able to tell when. Okay? Does that make sense? Okay. And if I want to sum it, if you're like a summation sentence about what wisdom is, it is competence with regards to the wisdom of life. Competence with regards to the wisdom of life. And that is what the book of Proverbs is about. Trying to be able to know the right time to be able to say the right thing, do the right thing within the complexities of life. The law is easy. It's kind of black and white. Proverbs, it's gray because there's sometimes that things are complex in what we're doing. For example, when I have a friend that keeps on asking me for money, what do I say to them? What do I do? I've been given a job offer with more money. Do I stick with my current company to be loyal or do I go to this new place? Do I go out to lunch with a coworker that I know has a crush on me? I mean, this is wisdom. What do you do in those situations? And hopefully the book of Proverbs, seeing it, is going to give us the ability to know what to do within complex situations. Our culture loves wisdom, and you don't have to go very far to see it. Uh, if you go to Barnes & Noble, there is a large section in Barnes & Noble. Um, in pejorative ways, it says... Um, 
Christian living in a Christian time, and, and then the other sections is self-help, right? Is that the pejorative way, say self-help? Or um, maybe less pejoratively, self-actualization, okay? How do I get rich? The seven steps to raising my kids in the right way. The five steps to finding the right man for my life. How do I save my marriage? You know, the self-help, the self-actualization. How do I do better in these situations? And the thing is, I don't think that's the same thing that's happening in this book of Proverbs. It's not self-help. <laughs> Let's try to go after it. It's not self-actualization. But it's instead trying to understand the world and how it was created. And wisdom is being able to know if the world is created and made in this way, it therefore abides by these kind of principles and rules. Now, maybe you're a Christian here and believe that God is the maker of this world. And if you are a believer that God is the maker of this cosmos and structured this world, then wouldn't we go to him to know how to live in this world? In our relationships? How do we love well? How do we act when we're young? In middle age? When we have children? When we get older? This is what this book is going to help us find out. Understanding the world correctly. That we would be aligned to the maker of this world. And the book of Proverbs helps us see, sure, call it self-help, self-actualization, of what God wants us to live and how we are supposed to live. Why Proverbs in summer? Okay, um, summertime is the best time in Wisconsin, all right? Right? Is anyone disagree? Maybe you guys love winter. I, don't, I think summer is the best time in Wisconsin. And we live for this time, don't we? <laughs> the time to get out, finally. The time to kick back at our cabin. The time to just sit in our backyard and just relax. The time to go to the pool. The time to just kind of contemplate life. And I want to give a challenge to us as a church this summer. If we have time to contemplate, if we have time to think, that we would think on the wisdom of God. And I'm going to give you three ways that you can do that this summer, okay? Can I give you homework? Or is everyone checking out when I say homework? I was like, no, don't give me homework, okay? Homework, okay, here it is. So Proverbs is set up in a really cool way. Guess how many chapters? 31. Guess how many days are in the month? Not June. 31. Guess what? You get three tries. Because we've got three months this summer, right? So I encourage you. That's right. What's today? It's June 1st. So June 1, Proverbs 1. Oh, it's the second of the month. Maybe around the dinner table, we're going to read Proverbs 2. Oh, it's the 15th, and I'm just sitting here by the pool. I brought my Bible. I'm going to read Proverbs chapter 15. So we're going to read the Proverbs, and you get three shots. Oh, I missed it on the 10th. Oh, guess it's July 10th. I can do it then. Okay? So reading the Proverbs. And then, second is we're going to have summer conversations, talking about some of these themes. And many times, you've got to tune out when you hear a sermon for this long. Like, I don't get anything from Dan was saying. But maybe you'll get something from discussions. So we're going to have discussions on topics like money and work and, and friendship. 
And we're going to be having groups of people talk about those subjects. And we're going to have a Q&A time. And we're going to be working through that and maybe some small group time of how we're doing. What does relationships look like in your life? Friendships. What's going on when it comes to work or money? And that would be a time to be able to talk through those issues. And we're going to try, another thing, the third thing is, this summer we're going to try reading, okay? We're going to have our first own book table for Emmaus Road. And we're going to have some books on this book table starting next week that are going to be on those different topics. And you could maybe buy one of those books and say, I'm going to go, you know what? God, I need to work on this area of my life. When it comes to my marriage, when it comes to work, I want to concentrate on that. I want you to enter in. And that would be a time to read on that, to meditate on that, and uh, to grow in that. Sound good? Three ways of learning. If you say, oh, I'm not a book reader, oh, guess what? You can go to summer conversation. Say, um, you know, I'm not much for, you know, dialogue. Oh, maybe just reading the Proverbs. So, again, we're going to try to um, kind of build on your learning and integrate it all together this summer. That said, I want to give a warning sometimes that type of learning, okay? The Proverbs is not about gathering a bunch of knowledge and information. It's not just about being able to take all these ideas of how I parent or how I become a good husband. Instead, the Proverbs comes through relationship, through instruction. You see it very quickly on about instruction. It's being an older person talking to a younger person in how to live. And in being in relationship about that. You see it here, it says, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. And to understand a proverb and saying to the words of the wise and their riddles. So why do you need to know the Proverbs? Because you're a person. You're a human. And one, we're simple-minded, as it says here. We are young. And you might say, oh, I'm not young. You might be young when it comes to issues of finance in your life. (laughs) You might be young in issues of how I deal with friendship. You can grow in those areas. And even if you say, I'm wise, I know about these areas, it says, even let the wise hear and increase in learning. So no matter where you are on the trajectory of these issues, you can grow. But the one person that's not going to grow is this person we see throughout the book of Proverbs, the fool. The fool. The person that will get Proverbs is the one that is teachable. The one that says, I can grow. The fool is the person that says, I don't need to learn anymore. I don't need anything added to my life. You know, it is hard for Christians, especially in our age, to look at a book that's not just do X, do Y, and it's going to be fine. Instead, wisdom happens over time. It's years of correction. It's suffering. It's discipline. It's guidance from an instructor to the young. This isn't my idea. It's C.S. Lewis's idea. 
C.S. Lewis, in a great book called The Abolition of Man, says this about modern culture. And he even speaks it today, even though he wrote this 40 years ago. He says this is what's happening in modern culture. I know this is a little heady. Please listen to this, okay? In the modern world, the idea of wisdom has been separated from us, like it was in earlier ages. For the ancients, time ago, the question was how to conform the soul to reality. And the solution had been knowledge, self-discipline, and virtue. Wisdom, right? For the modern, for us, it's how to subdue reality to our own wishes. I.e., the solution is a technique. Do you hear me? Wisdom is not a technique. Wisdom is a relationship with God and growing in His teachings to us over a long term of process. You might not believe me yet, okay? Well, um, I, you know I love Tim Keller, so Tim Keller, uh, I love what he says sometimes, and he says a pretty um, amazing thing. He gets this a lot in New York, and I get it too. I get people say to me, I want to know the right decision to make. Help me understand what I'm supposed to do in this situation. I want to know when I pray what I'm supposed to hear from God to know to do this or to do that. Tim, Dan, tell me what's happening in my body to tell me I should do this choice or to do that choice. (laughs) This is what Tim Keller says. And I agree with him to these people. You want to be able to discern which way to go? Become a wise person. (laughs) And when you become a wise person, when the choice comes, just make the choice and you'll make the right one. You see, in Christianity, we're looking for technique. But actually, Christianity is trying to give you wisdom and relationship over time. (laughs) I'm going to get even worse. You're going to hate me even more. I'm a, I'm a Calvinist, so you know that. I have a high view of sovereignty. God knows all, right? Um, I, I really don't think we all have a soulmate. <gasps> Actually, I'm more worried if someone comes to me in premarital counseling and says, this is my soulmate. Instead, I feel better when someone has the foundation of Christ. And says, I'm growing in his wisdom because that person can work with anyone that they marry. Not probably not anyone, but a lot of people. Because you know what? Your soulmate changes over time. <laughs> Five years into marriage, they're not the person you thought they were going to be. And you're like, oh wait, maybe I didn't marry my soulmate. No, actually, you're just dumb. And you're not wise enough to change. Man, I'm in trouble, man. Say that kind of stuff. Okay. Honey, you're still my soulmate, okay? I love you. Even though I can marry lots of other people, too. It's been fine. Yeah. So, again, um, the idea that it's not just um, an individual thing. You can't separate wisdom from a relationship with God. Wisdom is simply not a matter of learning certain principles of life and applying them mechanically mechanistically, but wisdom is being, begins with a relationship with God that starts with 
the fear of the Lord. If you're going to read any verse in the book of Proverbs, if you want to know what this book is about, here it is, verse 7. It's repeated in some way or another 19 times. And it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And when it says beginning, it means the chief thing, the practical thing, the first thing. Before anything can be gathered in wisdom, it has to start with the fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord is kind of a compound. And uh, fear and Lord, when they're put together, it gives us an understanding. So if I said um, Milwaukee, you might have a connotation of what Milwaukee is. And if I said um, someone that uh, brews beer, you would have a connotation there. But if I said Milwaukee Brewers, that would give you a totally different one, would it not? So in the same way, when we say the fear of the Lord, we have to see it as a compound, a conjunction of two things together. And the conjunction of these two ideas is this. Is that one, that he gives us statutes or laws to follow. The Psalms, which Bill said just last week, Psalm 19, talked about the fear of the Lord. And it was talking about it within realm of revelation. God's scripture and the ways you were supposed to abide. So you hold his laws and what you're supposed to do as one component of the fear of the Lord. And the second component of the fear of the Lord is this, is that is he loves us and there's trust as is described in the book of Deuteronomy. So one, his principles, his laws, the way we're supposed to live. And second, his love and his trust with us combined together. Again, a statement I'll say, the fear of the Lord is that affectionate reverence by which the child of God bends himself humbly and carefully to the Father's law. Some of you might have a serious problem with the idea of fearing God because fear has a very pejorative kind of connotation. But I will argue, like I've argued before in this church, that we all fear something. (laughs) We fear people. Maybe you're a people pleaser. So I'm going to do anything I can to win this person over. And I will obsess about doing that. Maybe you fear loneliness. Oh, I've got to be in the right relationship. I've got to be with the right person so I can finally feel whole. Maybe you fear poverty. Oh man, if I don't have a job, if I don't have money, if I'm not in that situation, I am, it could happen at any moment. Everything could be stripped out of me. I could be homeless. Maybe you fear not being a good parent. What would people think of how I raise my kids? Maybe you fear failure in your career. What if I don't advance? What if I don't have a title? I will argue, if you want to grow, it's probably better to fear God than to fear those things. So you don't have to be controlled by work, by people, by image. See, when you start with God being your fear, if you start there, if you let Him be your judge, that is what will start you changing in your life. thing is, you could read these Proverbs till you're blue in the face. You could memorize them. You could do all these things. 
But when the pressure's on and you fear something more than God, you will not go back to those Proverbs. Instead, you will go back to your own strategies to get what you really fear in your life. Does that make sense? Okay. Maybe it doesn't, so I have to apply, which I like to do, and uh, illustrate. But first, I want to go through these three things. What is wisdom? It is competence with regards to the realities of life. Why do I need it? It's a solution for real change, not simply a technique. And how do I get it? By first fearing the Lord. <laughs> I worked at a camp called Canacac growing up. And uh, uh, it was my kind of last year, um, second to last year before um, leaving Canacac. Um, and I had been there for like, you know, 12 years. And uh, they had decided they are going to start a new camp at a different site. And here's a multi-million dollar facility with um, probably close to 1,000 to 2,000 kids coming through it that summer. And I had been around the block, and I had been tasked to help start this new, new camp. And the head of the camp was a guy named, uh, the one who's going to be the director of the camp, a guy named Kyle Unruh. Tall guy, played in the NBA, just kind of this dominating kind of figure. And uh, the first two weeks um, of uh, Canacuck was kind of called work week. So you're setting up the camp for the kids to come and all these things. And I had my ideas of what the camp was supposed to look like, right? I've been to 12 years. Come on. I'm a 21-year-old kid. I know what's going on, right? And then there was Kyle. And um, can you imagine what kind of relationship we had at that point in time? The director <laughs> and me who thought, he knew what was going on. And we butted heads. There was discipline. There was, this is the way it's going to go. And, you know, I, I didn't believe him. I didn't believe he knew the right way. I thought I knew the right way. And I remember it was the day before the kids came. He had six kids of his own. And here he um, is a direct, the only one with kids, right? So there's all these college students that are counselors. <laughs> and all these other leaders, none of them have kids. So he's the only one that has kids himself. And he sits us all down. This is, this is an NBA player. Hard-edged dude. Okay? And he, he says the topic is going to be... Um, what you're getting into by being with kids. And he said, there is nothing, there is nothing in my life that's more important to me than seeing someone love on my kid and grow them up well. And there's nothing more detrimental to see someone harm my child. And I've never seen this dude cry ever before. And ever since. He weeps for his children. And he says, you see how much I love my kids? These parents are entrusting you with their kids. What will you do? You see, that is what wisdom is. You see, at one point, there were the rules I was supposed to live by. Director Kyle Underwood, he was running the camp. 
But at the same time, it was measured within his love and his compassion for kids. It is the same way with God. I don't want to live by your rules. I don't want to live by your wisdom. I don't want to go your way. I don't want to be disciplined by you. But you see, the God that we follow is one that enters into this world. One that lived wisdom himself. One that suffered. One that poured out his love for us. Is that not a God that we should fear, but at the same time, in reverence, see the way that he has sacrificed for us? You want to see wisdom? Paul said this, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in who? In Christ. Wisdom came to this world. It lived in that pattern. And it received what? Persecution. It received death. But you see, isn't that one that we should fear? Isn't that one we should follow? Because He led the way for us so that we can follow and learn and be in relationship with Him so that we would change in the ways that we need to in the areas of our life. Do that this summer. Come to Him. Fear Him. Trust in Him. And He will change you in areas of your life that you never thought you could change. That's what my vision is. That Steve would love Kim more. That Phil would lead a baseball team and Jeremy would lead a baseball team with love, which they already do, but even more. But that we would gain good friendships. That with your coworkers, when someone else gets elevated and you don't, you would love them and care for them. And you would know what it means to work well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need your wisdom. We need you to come into our lives. And I pray that uh, we would say, I am simple-minded. I am young. I need to grow. Help me to have a teachable spirit. Pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Well, I lied to you. I said there was no technique. Guess what? There is. You want Christ? You want to grow in wisdom? Here it is. <laughs> Here He is for you. When you come forward to take communion, you're saying this. God, you've called to me, and I respond to your wisdom. Wherever I might be. So let's respond. And let's respond to the call by partaking in Him. It's a call and response, and I'm going to ask Bill Acker and John Kirkpatrick and, and Perry if you would help me um, serve the communion um, this morning. And uh, if you're just joining us, we have wine uh, is on, in the middle, and there's white grape juice on the outside. There's some gluten-free bread here too, and some gluten bread, so you can grab that. And uh, we all come forward, we take, and then we sit back down, and then we all partake of the elements um, together. And if you have children that aren't taking communion yet, we like to, to pray for them. If someone grab the kids out of junior church, that'd be great to bring them back in. That'd be awesome. Thank you, Aaron. Okay, the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord. 
It is truly right to glorify you, gracious Lord, and to give you thanks for you alone are God, living and true, dwelling in light inaccessible from before time itself. God, you have sent your Son, the Word, to become flesh and dwell among us, to be a light unto our feet. Let his body and blood be a light to our path, and let it shine in the darkness. Jesus Christ was lifted high upon the cross, and is the wisdom calling out to us outside the city gates. We partake of this bread and wine, and let it fill us with the wisdom and righteousness of Christ. This is not an Emmaus Road table. This is not a Presbyterian table. This is a table for those that say, I need this wisdom. Well, those that are helping me serve, why don't you come forward and help me? And then uh, have everyone come up.